0: As uh, Steve already indicated, our series is Gentle and Lowly, and we've been looking at, uh, at Jesus, but in more than that, really all of the Bible, how God and the Father and the Son synchronize to uh, bring us uh, uh, the, a truth about both God and his, his Son, Jesus, that we can approach God and recognize His gentleness and His lowliness as He described Himself. I want to start this morning by uh, this story. I was in fourth grade, and uh, I was misbehaving. I don't remember what the specifics were, but I was being a bad apple. Yes, Debbie, yes, I know. I see you were shaking your head there, but I had to go to the principal's office uh, on account of whatever my bad behavior was, and I actually can't remember it to this day, but I do remember going to the principal's office. And with that, Mr. Hillborn was there, and he had a paddle that was about the size of Wyoming, okay? And in fact, it had holes in it. I don't know if the holes were supposed to increase the pain or exactly what the purpose of those were, but I still remember. And now I'm explaining in this story, not advocating, okay, But Mr. Hilborn had me bend over, and he afflicted a fair amount of pain on my backside. And I can't say to this day exactly how hard he spanked me really, but I can say that it was traumatic enough that I remember it very vividly. And furthermore, I remember that the paddle cracked. And I was so pleased. It was like bragging rights, okay? And here's the question I've often asked myself and I've often wondered, did he take pleasure in paddling me? Did he take delight in smacking me good? Was Mr. Hilborn like my cousin Lee who used to grind my face into the ground because he was three years older and bigger and stronger and just flat out meaner. You know, as a fourth grader, I really can't say. I just don't know. I do know though that I developed a rapport with Mr. Hilborn over the course of that year and As a fifth grader, along with one other girl, I was chosen to take the day off school, and Mr. Hillborn took us in his station wagon to Cedar Point and to the famous amusement park about three hours from where I grew up. Mr. Hillborn was to me an unpredictable mixture of judgment and mercy, and I received both from him. Doesn't life seem like a mixture of judgment and mercy? Is it because God is a mix of judgment and mercy? In some ways, I cannot explain the ways of God any more than as a fourth grader I understood Mr. Hilborn and his paddle. If I take Mr. Hilborn with the very best of intentions, as I probably should as the principal of the school, I might suggest this, that what seemed awful was intended for good. It seems to me that this is close to the biblical story that God has given us. This understanding that what sometimes seems awful was intended for good sinks very well with the Bible itself. You see in the book of Lamentations it describes a people absolutely and completely devastated by the Babylonians. I shared that last week. In the midst of that, the prophet Jeremiah, presumably, who wrote the, presumably wrote the book of Lamentations, feels awful. He sees his beloved city reduced to rubble. And here in chapter 3 of the book of Lamentations, that Melissa read a section of that earlier, and then Steve read a section from chapter 3, it is autobiographical, meaning Jeremiah is pouring out his heart. He's crying. And if you want to follow along, and you've got your phone there, or you've got a Bible, Read with me just a few verses from Lamentations 3. I'm not going to put all these on the screen. So you, I want you to listen or follow because I want you to hear this, this poetic cry from the heart of Jeremiah. He says in 3.1, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Whose wrath? Whose rod? This is coming from God. We could translate this as saying something like this I feel like I've been beat with a stick. He felt at that moment that God was his enemy. He goes on to say in verse 2 He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. In other words, He's driven me to the darkness. He goes on in the text to say in verse 4 He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He's worn out my skin and bones. He says, I'm a prisoner weighed down with chains. I cry out and my prayer is blocked. I've been dragged off the path and mauled by a lion that was hiding in the ditch. I'm not making this stuff up. This is right in our Bible. You see, Jeremiah feels forgotten and broke and broken. I like the way he puts it in verse 18 of uh, the NIV. It says this. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Interesting translation. In other words, my sense of being alive, my sense of wonder for life. I, I know I've been made in God's shining glory, but it feels, I feel wiped out. Jeremiah is experiencing God's heavy hand, and he clearly sees these bad things that have happened as God's judgment upon him. Now, I think for us as moderns, we might be tempted to attribute what happens to Jeremiah as having some other source. We might say, well, that's Satan that does that. Or it's fate. Or it's natural disasters. And I think at times we do this to somehow make God more reasonable and put Him in a better and more favorable light, don't we? The ancients, though, had such an awareness of God's complete sovereignty, His splendor, His greatness. His power, his control, his rule, that Jeremiah goes to God as the cause. I think this is jarring to most of us in our modern sensibilities. And maybe if it could even be understood by people in the church, we're fairly confident that people outside will not think much of God if God is viewed this way. So the section then of judgment culminates in verse 19, and Jeremiah says this I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness. And the gall. Put another way, I remember when I was homeless, penniless, and it was like bitter poison. So the question this morning that I want to ask and explore for just a moment is, can we see beyond the harsh judgment, our temptation to bitterness, the devastating loss that we sometimes feel. Because in the next few verses, we meet some of the most amazing, beautiful verses in the Bible. Coming out of that context. The verses that Melissa shared earlier that prompted Amy Basir to write the song. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And one stunning devotional truth from this section is simply this. If the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and His mercies never come to an end and they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness Lord, then We never have to live on yesterday's blessings. They are fresh every morning, like manna in the desert, like freshly baked bread. God's mercies are suited perfectly for this day set before us. Today's mercies are not designed to carry tomorrow's burdens Today's mercies are for today's burdens. So we ask, how will we get through this? Well, there'll be new mercies tomorrow for that. Our job isn't to have the strength for tomorrow's burdens. Our job is to trust the mercies given for today and to believe that there will be new mercies tomorrow. but there's more. That's a little devotional snippet in the middle of this section that I wanted to offer, and it's a powerful one, but there's more. Dane Ortland, in the book, Gentle and Lowly, points out the perfect symmetry of this book of Lamentations. Poetic symmetry. There are five chapters. The first two chapters have 22 verses. The last two chapters have 22 verses. The middle chapter, chapter 3, has 66 verses. It's just this incredibly balanced, thoughtfully organized composition. At the midpoint, chapter 3 and verse 33, the very, very center of the book, Our text says this He does not afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. Ortland describes this as an implicit premise and an explicit statement. Let me explain. The implicit premise. It is God who afflicts. He is sovereign. He is ruler. He is governor over all things. Again, it's a hard concept for us as moderns and postmoderns. But it's His world through and through. Nothing is by chance. God is over all and in all and through all. And He causes the pain. He allows the pain. He allows trouble. And to use the words of the writer of Hebrews, He disciplines or we could even say he punishes with a goal in mind. Now God is not cruel. He is not arbitrary. And I believe we often think of God's wrath in very human terms. Maybe we remember a father, an uncle, a cousin, a boss, or Mr. Hilborn. And maybe it was anything but righteous. And so we think that God is that way too. But God's wrath, his righteous anger, to ignore or gloss over the wrath of God is not a good idea. As if God doesn't care when we are trapped or hurt or hurt others with sin. In other words, to gloss over God's righteous anger is to trivialize sin done to us, sin in the world, sin that we've done as something not so significant. But Orland points out that he does not afflict from the heart And this is what I want you to see, and this is the explicit statement. In other words, his judgment is not from the heart. He doesn't judge, in other words, willingly or eagerly. He doesn't do it gleefully. It's not who he is in the deepest part of his being. It is not what is most central to God. Let me put it this way, even when he wounds us, he seeks our highest good. Now maybe it takes a lifetime to grow in learning that lesson and trusting God to that level. God does punish, but always for the purpose of restoration and healing. Any act of justice on the part of God is for a higher end and a higher goal. Meanwhile, mercy. This is what God does with his whole heart not judgment, but mercy. Now, for just a minute, if I catch you off guard, what leaps out of you before you catch yourself? Any of you tend to be reactionary or judgmental? But if you catch God off guard, what leaps out of him? Does he fly off the handle? No. His impulse, his heart is to do good, to extend mercy. And this is so critical that we don't see God through the lens of other human beings. Aren't you glad that you are judged by God and not by human beings? See, I think I've often used the illustration of that God is like an airplane. Something like this. The plane has two wings. There's the justice of God and there's the mercy of God. And this assumes an equal and proportionate balance in order to keep this plane in flight. And both of those truly are parts of God's character and attributes of God, but I believe it's a bad analogy. In fact, Ortland quotes a pastor theologian from a previous century, from Isaiah 28 and 21, and describes God's Acts of justice or judgment as his strange work. You might jot that down and go look at that verse later. Isaiah 28 and 21. Judgment is God's strange work while mercy is the natural work from his heart. And you might want to take a picture of that and mull over it this week. Judgment is God's strange work, while mercy is the natural work from his heart. Many of us, left to our own intuitions, we might believe that God's mercy is his unnatural work and his judgment comes easy. This is to misunderstand God. Many people, many followers of Jesus live in constant fear that somehow God is out to get them. I'm trying to help us see that's not what the Bible teaches. That's our natural instinct, maybe to believe that. So I pray that this revealed word of God, not your natural impulses, not the world's example, not the unknown and unpredictable motivations of Mr. Hilborn, rather the word of God revealed in Jesus Christ will teach you differently. God is more involved in your hurt in your pain in your suffering and in your discipline than you might have imagined. His judgment is his strange work. His heart is mercy. Jesus Christ on the cross becomes our definitive teacher of God's heart, and through his death, he tells us mercy, triumph over judgment let's pray praise team come on up let's go ahead and stand our Lord God as we through your Holy Spirit long for the words of Scripture to teach us your truths. May you make us over in our inner being to move past juvenile views of who you are and undo learnings and thoughts and impulses that are more natural to us to understand who you most are at the deepest part of your heart, a God of mercy. May we be able to, you give us the ability to incorporate all the ways that we do sense your judgment as being in our best interest so that you will make us over into the people you've called us to become. May your mercy triumph over judgment in our hearts. Amen.